ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد So last week we began with this book Bahjat Qulub al-Abrar the delight of the hearts of the pious and this particular book we mentioned it is written by Al-Allama Abd Rahman Sa'di rahimahullahu ta'ala one of the great scholars of the recent past and it's a book which explains to you some of the basic principles of your religion some of the basic foundations you need to know in different parts and different aspects of your religion the opening hadith in this book was talking about exactly one of those principal factors in your religion and it was the issue of sincerity the issue of ikhlas the issue about your intentions so we had the hadith of umar ibn al-khattab radiyallahu anhu qala sami'tu rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yaqul inma al-a'mal bin-niyyat This hadith where the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said indeed your actions are in accordance to your intentions your actions are in accordance to your intentions that's why the scholars they gave that example we mentioned two people might come into the mosque they stand next to each other and they pray exactly the same both of them pray perfectly as you are supposed to pray in accordance to the sunnah but only one of them gets rewarded and the other one does not why is that when they both did exactly the same prayer prayed in exactly the same way because of the intentions they had one of them he came and prayed for the sake of allah so he is up in the heavens the other one prayed for the sake of showing off so he is down in the pits the difference between them is like the difference between the heavens and the earth even though physically they've both done exactly the same action that's why the scholars they say worship isn't just about the physical outward appearance of it worship isn't just about the outward appearance of it anybody can come as we gave that example in the hadith charity for example anybody can come and give money 
That physical action, they can come and give a pound, ten pounds, a hundred pounds. They can come and do that. Physically hand over the money, they've done the action. They can say, I've given in charity for the sake of Allah. But if in their heart, it wasn't really upon sincerity, they were only handing over that money for the sake of showing off in front of the people, for the sake of getting praise from the people. MashaAllah, look how much he donates. And that reminds me, from a long time ago, about 20 years ago, we were in a mosque on one occasion, one of the mosques of the people of deviation, and they were doing a collection. They were doing a collection for whatever purpose the collection was, and so everybody was in this mosque, maybe a thousand people there. And there was a man at the front doing the collection. And people were coming forward saying, I'll give 20, I'll give 40. And somebody walks from the back, I'll give 60. And I saw one man next to me trying to get in. They weren't hearing him. They weren't hearing him. They couldn't see him. He had his money in all these notes. Me, me. They were, he wanted attention. Finally, they got to him 200 or 400 or whatever it was. This action, how they were doing it there, was for everybody to see everyone else. Me, look, I've given it. I give 200 today. Another one comes, me, me. And they get all of their notes out in front of everyone. 400 from me. That wasn't how the Prophet ﷺ, when he used to ask the companions to give in charity, they used to come and give it. That was an example to the people. But nowadays often you see the individuals and it is dubious how they perform their acts. So the purpose of this opening section is to highlight the importance of having the right intention when you do your worship. If a person does not have the right intention, he falls into certain types of showing off, for example. Then the hadith mentioned last time about the first people, the first of the people at the beginning, who will be thrown into the fire from the first of the people. A man who fought in the path of Allah and was killed in the path of Allah, yet it will be said to him, you are lying. Even though he was killed, fighting. Lying, why? Because he had only been doing that to be seen in the first row. Fighting and facing the enemy. So people would say, look how brave he is. That's all he wanted. So he'll be thrown into the fire. Another man used to teach the people the Quran recitation. And he did. Yet it will be said to him, you're lying. Why? Because he only used to teach the people that Qur'an. So everybody would say, MashaAllah, what a beautiful reciter he is. He wanted praise from the people. And a third person used to give in charity, and he did. Yet it will be said, you are a liar. Because the charity he used to give wasn't for the sake of Allah. It was for the sake of showing off. He wanted people to praise him. Wanted people to see him. And there is a type of showing off, which is sometimes referred to as a sum'ah, which is a showing off when nobody actually sees you. 
a person may do a particular action by himself in privacy, nobody sees him, then how can it be showing off? It still can. If that person later on goes and purposely talks about this worship he's been doing, so that the people become impressed with him. An example may be, somebody prays the tahajjud prayer at night, wakes up and prays in the darkness and the silence of the night, not even his own family knows he did it. But then later on in the day, maybe he's with his friends, and his friends say, let's go out for a meal tonight after Isha. He says, my apologies, I'm sorry brothers, but I'm extremely tired today, I can't make it with you, because you know last night I was praying to Hajjud for three hours. Last night I was praying to Hajjud for three hours, you know. So my apologies, I can't make it today. That comment there in reality is, as some of the scholars term it, Sum'ah. He has purposely put this comment in this way to impress his friends. To impress them so they think, MashaAllah, and they go away, have their dinner, and they talk about this. He was praying three hours, he does three hours every night. Had no idea, MashaAllah. And that's exactly what that other one wanted. Wanted the praise from them. So speaking about your worship, desiring the praise of the people upon it is a form of showing off. So these types of intentions are corrupt. That's why the Salaf they used to say, ما عالجت شيئا أشد علي من نيتي يوما لي ويوما علي that I never had to deal with something more difficult than my own intention. One day it is good, and one day you have to fight against it because the whispers are coming, showing off this that. So your intention, you always have to keep revising it. You always have to keep checking it to make sure that every action you're doing is for the sake of Allah. That's why the scholars, they give an example and they say, if you do an action which appears to be good and okay, but inside your intention is actually something evil, then you will be held accountable upon your intention, even if the action appears to be okay. One example the scholars give about that is interest. Is taking interest allowed? Haram, riba. Taking interest is not allowed. On your bank accounts, on these things, they give you interest all these types of loans and business dealings they have in society with interest, haram, not allowed interest. So now, the scholars they mention in their books, a famous example. They say a man was poor. So he went to a rich man and asked the rich man for a loan. He wanted to take a loan from the rich man. The rich man, plenty of money, pockets full of money there and then, plenty. But the problem is the rich man, 
He knows he can give the money over to this poor man, give him the loan right now. Maybe a thousand pounds for example. But he knows Islamically, Islamically if he hands over a thousand pounds now, and agrees with this poor man, okay you can pay me back in a year, in a year the poor man has to pay him back how much? One thousand. The rich man can't say, in a year though, if I give you a thousand now, I want eleven hundred back. The rich man can't say that. Haram. Interest. So the rich man thinks to himself, what can I do? I don't want to just hand over my money to him and make nothing from it. I want to benefit from this. So then the rich man says to him, follow the example carefully. It's in the books of the scholars everywhere. The rich man says to the poor man then, I'll sell you my car. The poor man buys the car from the rich man. But the agreement is that the poor man has to pay the rich man 1100 pounds for this car in a year. So the rich man makes the contract, signs over the car to the poor man. The car now belongs on signature, on paper, on the documents to the poor man. And the agreement in the contract is that the money must be paid within a year for this car, 1100 pounds. So far it doesn't make sense. The poor man came asking for a loan. He's ended up buying a car and getting himself into 1100 pounds debt, which he's got to pay back in a year. But then the rich man says, I'll buy the car back off you actually. I've changed my mind. Give me it back. I'll buy it back off you right now. I'll give you cash right now. Just give me the car back. I'll give you a thousand pounds in cash. Just sell me the car back. So the poor man says, okay. Signs back the deeds of the car to the rich man. The rich man hands over a thousand pounds to the poor man. So now who does the car belong to? The rich man. Who's got a thousand pounds in their pocket? The poor man. The poor man came looking for what? A thousand pounds. Has he got it? He's got it. What's the purpose of all of this car? Buy it back, sell it, etc. How? Because in a year's time of the original contract, the poor man still has to give the rich man how much? 1100 pounds. That original contract, the poor man hadn't paid it yet. He's gonna pay it in a year's time. Up to that part of the story, the poor man owns the car and owes the rich man 1100 pounds. Then the rich man buys the car back for a thousand in cash. That is a secondary deal. The primary deal, the poor man still owes the rich man 1100 pounds in a year's time. So really at the end of it all, what's happened? The poor man has taken a thousand pounds off the rich man and he's going to pay him back 1100 in a year's time. But the rich man can say, but no, it's not interest. It's not interest. I sold him my car and then I decided to buy it back even though the car was never even there. He had the VC5. But the car wasn't even there. The poor man never even saw the car. What was the whole purpose of the car? Just as a trick. To try and get around 
the impermissibility of interest. Does everybody follow the example? You understand it? It's a bit complicated, you have to follow carefully. The bottom line is the rich man is now going to get back 1100 pounds for having given to the poor man only 1000 pounds. He's made himself a hundred pounds interest. That in reality the scholars, many of them say, is interest. Forget about this nonsense, sold the car, bought the car. That was all done as a facade. It was all done as just appearance. We're doing a trade deal. Bought my car, sold my car. He bought it off me for 1100 I bought it back for a thousand. All of that is halal, no problem. But the purpose of all of those actions was because of the intention in his heart that at the end of it all, he wants to benefit from this thousand pounds he gives over to the poor man. He wants to get himself a hundred pounds profit out of it. So the scholars, they say his intention was purely upon wanting to receive interest basically. But this whole deception was to try and cover up the haram interest into ways that are halal, into ways that would make it appear in the actions to be halal. Me buying a car of you for 1100 pounds, later on selling it back to you for only a thousand, is that technically Islamically allowed? No problem. I'll buy a car of you for a thousand, sell it back to you for 1100, sell it back to you for 500 afterwards. No problem, two separate contracts, two separate deals. But here they have done those actions which are on the surface halal for a purpose and a corrupt intention and a corrupt desire. Hence many of the scholars, they say that is uh, is a haram type of deal. You can't try and deceive and make this healer. This deception on that. The point of that was to say that you cannot try and do something which looks to be halal, but really your intention behind it is to try and get something haram or get something impermissible or wrong. Then that would indicate really that it's your intention that you get your recompense upon. Not this action. The action you're only doing it to cover up something evil. And that is a general lesson to us all. A general lesson to us all in how a Muslim behaves. We do not behave in this, as a Shaykh al-Fawzan says, chameleon-like fashion. It is not from the characteristic of a Muslim. It is not from the manners and the morals of a Muslim to behave in that way. To behave in a deceptive manner, pretending outwardly to do something good, showing outwardly goodness, but inwardly he's upon corruption and his desire and intent is evil. That is not the way of the Muslim. And it is not as if you can hide that anyway. Who are you going to hide that corruption from? That corruption in your intention. How are you going to hide it from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Hence the Prophet ﷺ said, Worship Allah, Abud Allah, ka'annaka tarah. Worship Allah as though you can see Him. فَإِن لَمْ تَكُنْ And even though you can't see Him, فَإِنَّهُ يَرَاكَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala indeed sees you. Sees you and sees everything that you do. 
sees all of your actions, is all aware of all of your actions, all aware of what you do, all aware of how you spend your time, all aware of what your actions are, recorded and registered. And then on the day of judgment, you will be accountable upon them. Whatever you try to hide now in this world, with corruption in your intent, even though you try to gloss it over in your actions, now you may pull the wool upon the people, but you will not be able to hide that in the hereafter. So this issue of intention is extremely important. And if a Muslim was to pay attention to it, to pay attention to rectifying your heart, whatever you do, you do it for the sake of Allah, knowing that Allah is watching you in this action you're going to do. Knowing that Allah knows these words that you're going to say. Knowing Allah knows what you're doing and how you're doing it and what your purpose is in doing it. You recognize that? Then a Muslim will strive to make sure that their intention is pure. Their intention is for the sake of Allah. And that is what taqwa is. Taqwa, the muttaqeen, mentioned in the Quran often, the people of taqwa. Who are the people of taqwa? The people of taqwa are the ones who fulfill the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, desiring the reward from Allah. Not desiring the reward from anybody else, not desiring the praise from anybody else. Hence in the narration it mentions, the people who used to show off in front of other people now, they only do their worship to show other people, they only do good things to get the praise of the people, to impress the people. On the day of judgment, the hadith it mentions, Allah will say to them, اِذْهَبُوا إِلَى مَنْ كُنْتُمْ تُرَاؤُونَ فِي الدُّنْيَا هَلْ تَجِدُونَ عِنْدَهُمْ مِنْ جَزَاءٍ Go to the ones who you used to show off in front of in this world. Go to them now. It will be said to them on the day of judgment. The people you used to show off in front of, go to them now. The ones who you wanted to be impressed with you and praise you, Go to them now, see if they are impressed with you and praise you, and give you any reward for what you used to do. The ones that you used to show off in front of, and impress them, and you wanted them to praise you, then go to them now and see if they'll give you any reward. On this day of judgment, see if you'll get any good deeds from them. See if you'll get any reward from them now. And what will you get from them? Nothing. Your accountability... You will not receive anything from them. Rather, they will declare their innocence of you. They will declare their innocence of you. What is their fault that you were impressing or trying to receive their praise? So this is the evil and result of the one who is not sincere in his worship, in his actions, in his behaviors, in his mannerisms, with himself to his Lord, primarily sincerity in your worship, then also sincerity with yourself and the people, how you behave with other people, how you interact, that you do it, loving for your brother what you love for yourself. لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى يحب لأخيه ما يحب لنفسه. None of you truly believes until you love for your brother what you love for yourself. 
That is how a believer should be. Purity in intention. Not envying the people, having badness towards people, having evil towards people. That will do nothing but make your heart more and more corrupt for yourselves. Envying the people for what? As Shaykh al he said, Envy is what? It is that you hope your brothers whom you have seen blessed with things, lose those blessings. So one of the brothers here, MashaAllah, is blessed with a big mansion, blessed with beautiful cars. So somebody else envies him and hopes that he loses this house and something happens and he loses his cars. You hope that he loses the blessings he's been given. That is envy. Ashaykh al said, what for? What for? Why are you envying this person? If Allah has blessed him with those things, then what is your problem? Make dua that Allah blesses you with those things too. Make dua if you want something that your brother has been blessed with, then why do you make dua that he loses it, this evil corrupt type of intention? Instead, make dua that Allah gives it to you too. You see a brother with a nice car, and you've been struggling for the last 20 years with the rusty old 1.1s. So then make dua. Make dua that Allah blesses you and gives you something good. Why make this evil type of intention and this corrupt type of heart towards your brother that he has a nice car, I wish his car breaks down. I wish he has an accident. I've never had a car like that. Why? Make dua that Allah blesses him in what he has been given and make dua that Allah blesses you with it too. What is preventing you from making dua that Allah gives you that too? So there is no need for this evil in your heart. The more you purify your heart, the more you will find peace in of yourself. Because you do not have any envy to this one, or hatred to that one, or jealousy to that one. Freeze up your mind, gives you peace in your heart, to live with ease. No issue with this one, or no issue with that one, no hate here, no envy there, no jealousy there. What is it that consumes the people? What is it that consumes the people? Hatred for that one. And jealousy towards him over there. And this person, this and that person, that. Sometimes you sit in the gatherings of some people, their whole gathering. But he did this to me and this happened and that happened and him this and him that. You ruin yourselves in speaking in this manner. Corrupt your own hearts and take away peace from yourself. So bring peace to yourselves. Have the goodness and purity in heart. Purity in your intentions. And this is a principle of the religion. If a Muslim was upon purity in his heart, then what would it affect him that somebody says something bad to you, or somebody does this to you or that to you? You make dua, ask Allah to forgive that person, and make dua that Allah rectifies your situation. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ said, how amazing is the affair of the believer? How amazing is the affair of the believer? Everything is good for you. All of your situations are good for you. Even if something bad happens, something calamitous, something disastrous, something difficult and a burden upon you causes you grief. No matter. You remain patient. Keep your trust in Allah and ask Allah to make the ease for you and to take you out of that difficulty. And that's why there are so much narrations 
talking about putting your trust in Allah, having your dependence in Allah. That is something weak amongst the people. And that's why you see them with so much stress. You could remove so much of that stress if you had your heart connected to Allah in the remembrance, in the purity of intention, in sincerity, knowing that you only have a few years on this earth anyway. Now the calamity befalls you, depression. A year from now it could be completely different. Ten years from now you'll think back and think, what was that? Nothing. These days they come and they go, تِلْكَ الْأَيَّامُ نُدَاوِلُهَا بَيْنَ النَّاسِ Allah said, those are the days, the days of this earth, that we alternate between the people. You have days when you are in ease and relaxed, and you have days when some test and trial comes to you. You have days of ease, relaxation, happiness, peace. And you have days when a trial overcomes you, some difficulty overcomes you, in your family, in your wealth, in your children, with illness, various affairs. So these days, they swap around the people. Nobody is going to live forever without any trial or difficulty. Nobody is going to live with ease forever. You will face trials, just like the prophets and messengers faced trials and tribulations. Face difficulties more than any of us. إِنَّ أَشَدَّ النَّاسِ ابْتِلَاءَنَ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ The most tested of the people. The most tested of the people are the prophets and the messengers. Then those most similar to them, most resembling them in the practice, then most resembling them. So a person needs to remember and needs to keep focus with regards to his intention to ensure that always you are upon purity in your intention. Always you remember, you wake up, you go to sleep, you are a servant of Allah placed upon this earth for a few years. A few years, the days and the nights, they pass by those years in the blink of an eye before you know it. And you are in old age if Allah decrees for you. These few years Allah created you for His worship. These few years Allah created you here, placed you, sustained you, provided for you, so that you may obey Him and worship Him. And yet, despite knowing all of that, and we all know all of that, we still find the whisperings of the shaitan overcoming us. Find the whisperings of the shaitan making you weak. And that is where the test is, to see where the resolve of a person is. That is the test to see where the resolve of an individual is. When it comes to the Friday night, comes to the Saturday night, will you stay on your comfortable sofa? Or will you leave your home and go to the masjid or not? A simple trial like that comes to every person. So the ones who have that resolve, and they know what is good for them in this world and in the hereafter, they know the remembrance of Allah, the ahadith, the Qur'an, the sunnah, that is of benefit to them in this world and in the hereafter then they will leave the comfort of their sofas and they will attend. They will learn, they will benefit. Times of the prayers, they will stand, they will make wudu, they will pray. But the one who has the weakness overcome by the shaitan, then his days and nights and weeks and months and years pass by, and he cannot even bring himself to pray five times a day. On the day of judgment, the hadith it says, 
the first thing you will be asked about on the day of judgment from all of the different things. The first thing you will be asked about on that day is your prayer. The first thing you will be asked about on that day is your prayer. Did you pray five times a day? Every day. And there is no excuse. To the extent a person can be paralyzed completely in his whole body, but if his mind is intact, he is not excused from the prayer. Prays with his eyes. Move the eyes down for the rukuah. Move the eyes down for the sujood. Bring them back up again for the standing. Pray with your eyes. Not excuse the prayer. So that is the importance. And this individual, every individual needs to recognize it. So that is what this first hadith wants to highlight. If a person is upon that purity, worshipping Allah, regularly Persistent, consistent, then even if you end up missing something, you will still be rewarded. There is a hadith which says, إِذَا مَرِضَ الْعَبْدُ أَوْ سَافَرَ كُتِبَ لَهُ مَا كَانَ يَعْمَلُ صَحِيحًا مُقِيمًا If a person becomes ill, if a servant of Allah becomes ill, or you go traveling on a journey, it will still be written for you, the deeds that you used to do normally. Imagine now, for example, a servant of Allah wakes up every night before Fajr and prays the Tahajjud. Every night or every other night, regularly prays it. Then one week, he comes down with a heavy fever. For a week, he's unable to get up and pray the Tahajjud. But otherwise, throughout the year, regular every other night, every third night doing it. For that week then, he will be rewarded upon his intention. Because his intention was, had he not become ill, he would have been getting up and praying. So he'll be rewarded upon the consistency of his intention. The same if a person goes traveling. When you travel, then it's not possible to do the types of worship you may do when you're resident. For example, fasting, a person regularly fasts. But you go on a journey, when you go on a journey, this person may not be able to fast. So it is allowed for him to miss the fasting. So he ends up missing the fasting due to traveling. So this person will have the reward upon his intention. Had he not been traveling, then upon his normal habit he would have been fasting. So this is the great reward mentioned of a person who has that consistency in his intention. One final point that we'll mention now, which is actually the second hadith. The second hadith is the hadith of Aisha radiyallahu anha, qalat, qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, man ahdatha fi amrina hadha ma laysa minhu, fahuwa rad. Whomsoever brings about, innovates, into this religion of ours, into this sharia of ours, that which is not from it, whoever brings something new into our sharia, which isn't from our sharia, 
then it will be rad, meaning rejected. That action will not be accepted from that person. This hadith indicates to us a very important principle. We've been talking about having the pure intention, having the sincerity in your heart when you do your worship. But you need to know, purity and sincerity in your intention, that alone does not make your actions acceptable. Purity and sincerity in your intention, is that enough for your actions and your worship to be acceptable? It is not. Because you need a second thing to go with it. And that is, that you must do your action upon the guidance of the sunnah. A person cannot come along and say, do any type of innovation and say, but my intention is pure. My intention is sincere. I'm doing it for the sake of Allah. Just saying that your intention is pure and sincere isn't enough to prove that the action is correct and acceptable. That's why the Salaf they said, How many people out there have good intentions, but they never get to the goodness that they desire? They have good intentions, but why do they never get to the goodness that they desire then? Because even though they may have good intention, they may have sincerity in intention, how they are going about doing their worship for Allah isn't how Allah actually told us to do it. They are trying to worship Allah with sincerity as they claim, but without following the sunnah in how to do it. Allah told us in the Quran, وَمَا آتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولُ فَخُضُوهُ وَمَا نَهَاكُمْ عَنْهُ فَانْتَهُ Whatever the Prophet ﷺ gives you, then take it. And what he prohibits you from, then stay away from it. So we have to do our worship in accordance to the sunnah. If you only have purity of intention, but you don't follow the sunnah, then you will end up doing bid'ah. If somebody comes along now and celebrates the birthday of the Prophet ﷺ, you say, why? It's not in the Qur'an or the sunnah to do this. He says, so what? My intention is pure. I'm doing it sincerely for Allah. Sincerely to show my love for Muhammad Wasallam. That's it. Sincerely and purely. So what's the problem? We say, okay, even if that is true, even if you are doing it sincerely and purely, this is still wrong because you have missed the second part out, which is that whatever you do, must be sincerely and purely, and must be in accordance to how the Qur'an and the Sunnah told us to do it. Imagine now a person comes along, and he prays four raka'at for Maghrib prayer. He says, so what? I had some spare time, I decided to pray an extra raka'at, get some more reward purely, sincerely, for the sake of Allah. You say to him, no, you cannot tell me purely, sincerely for the sake of Allah now. No, because the action you've done is not in the sunnah. So even if you claim purity, sincerity, whatever, your action is not from the sunnah, so it's not acceptable. 
So it must be with sincerity and from the sunnah. What if a person does something from the sunnah without sincerity? That person will end up in what? Showing off. Like the person who prayed. If somebody comes and prays, is praying from the sunnah? Of course. He comes and prays, but he's doing it to impress everyone. That means he's done that part. He's done an action in accordance to the sunnah, but he hasn't done it with sincerity. Showing off, therefore the action rejected. The other way around, somebody does it with sincerity, but isn't following the sunnah. Then their action will be a bid'ah, an innovation. They can claim it's sincere, but if it's not how the Prophet ﷺ told us to do it, then there's no point you saying you're being sincere. If you were really being sincere, and you were really being pure in your intention, then you would have made sure what you're doing is how the Prophet ﷺ told us to do it. How can you tell me you're pure and sincere and everything, and then you go do something the Prophet ﷺ didn't tell us to do? That's why Allah said in the Quran, قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهِ فَاتَّبِعُونِي Say, if you truly love Allah, if that's what you're saying, purity, sincerity, you truly love Allah, then do what? Follow me. Follow the guidance of the Quran and the Sunnah. Do not innovate. That's why this hadith now says, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, Whoever does an action which is not from our religion, not from our sharia, then it will not be accepted. This therefore indicates as a conclusion from the first two hadith, as a conclusion from the first two hadith, that an action, any action that you do, it must be sincerely for the sake of Allah, and it must be in accordance to the sunnah. So these are the first two hadith to bear in mind. The hadith talking about the sincerity and purity of your intention. And the second hadith talking about the mannerism of your actions. That they must be in accordance to the sunnah. 
You cannot just say, I'm being sincere, I'm being pure, I'm being upon purity in my intention. That isn't enough by itself if you're going to go end up doing an innovation. It must be sincerity and purity upon the sunnah. That is proven in these two hadith. It is even proven in the Quran itself. Allah said, فَمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُ لِقَاءَ رَبِّهِ فَلْيَعْمَلْ عَمَلًا صَالِحًا وَلَا يُشْرِكْ بِعِبَادَةِ رَبِّهِ أَحَدًا Whomsoever wishes to meet his Lord, then let him do the righteous actions and do not commit any shirk along with Allah. The righteous actions are going to be which actions? The actions which are done from the sunnah. That's what's going to be righteous. It can't be righteous if you make it up yourself. What's going to be righteous is what the Prophet ﷺ told us in the sunnah. Then the ayah says, and do not commit any shirk alongside your Lord. Meaning, be upon sincerity, ikhlas. So that ayah tells you these two conditions. And they are known as the two pillars of worship. For any worship to be accepted, any worship you do, there are two pillars. First, sincerity. Secondly, following the sunnah. Sincerity and the sunnah. If you only do one of the two, the action will not be right. If you follow the sunnah but no sincerity, then you're showing off. If you have sincerity but you're not following the sunnah, then you'll end up in innovation. This is the principle of the religion, the principle from Ahlul Sunnah to understand and to learn from these first two hadith. Sincerity and following the sunnah. That is where the second narration ends. Uh, from the next session, we'll begin with the third narration. A hadith that talks about different types of rights. And different types of purity of intention that we need to have. We need to have purity of intention between ourselves and Allah. We need to have purity of intention with ourselves and the Qur'an. Purity of intention between ourselves and the Messenger Muhammad ﷺ. Purity of intention between ourselves and other people. And purity of intention between ourselves and the rulers that Allah has given authority to. That is the hadith that will come to in the next session inshaAllah ta'ala. But for now those first two narrations bear them in mind. And focus on the points within them because they are the key to your actions being acceptable or non-acceptable. And if a person is going to do his actions and worship in this world all your lives, then you need to make sure that they are acceptable. The Salaf, one of the biggest things that they used to worry about was not actually doing actions. They used to do plenty of actions. They used to do plenty of worship. That wasn't the problem. The problem they used to worry about was, all of this worship that I've done, is it acceptable? Did I do it with the really good intention? Did I do it with the pure intention? They would worry about whether their worship was acceptable to Allah or not. So that is what we should be concerned about. Are we being really sincere in everything we do in our lives? In our worship to Allah? In all of the affairs, we're not after worldly benefits and worldly goods. We're not after running after the glitters of the world. 
Don't make your objectives in this life, this world. The Prophet ﷺ said, "Kun fi dunya Be in this world as though you are a stranger or a passerby. A stranger or a passerby, meaning you're only here temporarily. You're not resident here, you're not staying here, temporary. Passing through this world a few days, a few years, and you'll be gone. So the Prophet ﷺ said, be in this world, in this mindset, that you're just traveling through it a few years, passing through, you're a stranger here. And that's why Shaykh Al-Fawzan said as well, us as humans, this earth was never our home in the first place. This earth, it was never our home in the first place. Adam alayhi salam, where was he originally? In paradise. Whichever paradise it was, but he was in paradise. Then he was removed from paradise to this earth. So which one was his original actual home? This earth or that paradise? Paradise, we are all the sons of Adam. Therefore, all of us, this earth was never our original abode. This earth was never our original home. Adam alayhi salam, our father, his original home was paradise. This was only a secondary, temporary residence. So all of us as humans, we are striving to get back to the original home. Striving to get back to the original home. And that is paradise. The original abode that Adam alayhi salam was in, this was secondary. So we are traveling through here only as strangers passing by to go back and get back to the original abode where Allah had placed Adam alayhi salam, paradise. So make sure that these things are focused in your minds. When a person focuses these things in his mind, then he realizes what his objectives in life really are. The objectives aren't to grow your business into a millionaire business. If your children and your family aren't even practicing the religion, your objective should be to get them practicing and praying. Even if your company's earning only pennies to get by, that is more important. Have the focus in your life focused on the right things, the things that will count in the hereafter. So that is where we'll conclude for today. And we must conclude because as they say, in Arabic, they have a saying, they say, إِذَا حَضَرَ الطَّعَامِ بَطَلَ الْكَلَامِ When food arrives, talking stops. So now the food has arrived, and therefore, without any choice, the talking must stop. So inshallah ta'ala, we'll conclude that lecture there. So focus on these points. The first lecture, it's recorded, available online. The second one we've done tonight, Review them, listen to them, go over them, so you're prepared for the third one in two weeks' time. This particular lecture every fortnight, as you know, on a Friday. The other Friday, there's another lecture that goes on by Abu Iyad. And on Saturdays, there's another lecture that goes on by Abu Hamid. So there are lectures going on. This particular one in a fortnight again, inshallah ta'ala. So we'll conclude upon that for now. These are a bunch of questions, I'll keep them and inshallah ta'ala we'll try and get to them next time.